You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions amongst you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptised none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptised in my name. I did baptise also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, and not with words, of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good day. Wonderful to be with you. If you are tuning in for the very first time, welcome. My name is Guy and it's my joy and privilege to serve as the senior pastor of City on a Hill, uh, a movement uh, of many churches across Australia who are united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And so a big good day to our church in Brisbane, uh, to our church in Geelong, uh, to our brothers and sisters in Melbourne's West, Melbourne's East, Melbourne's CBD, as well as the Surf Coast and the Gold Coast. Uh, wherever you are, whether you're joining us uh, in one of Australia's great cities or uh, across the globe, why don't you take a moment right now in the comments below to let us know where you are. And if you see someone that you know, be sure to send them a big virtual high five. Today, uh, we're continuing our sermon series in First. Corinthians. And uh, as I was reflecting on our series, I was reminded of a time that my wife, Vanessa, and I and and our kids uh, traveled to Sydney. And everyone we spoke to about our trip said, Guy, you've got to go to Manly Beach and and catch the ferry to Sydney Harbour. Uh, Incredible views. The arrival uh, before the Sydney Harbour Bridge is spectacular. You will love it. Vanessa will love it. The kids will love it. Right? And so with our expectations, Expectations at a moderate 11 out of 10. Uh, we buy our tickets and get the kids together and, and wait in line. And, and as the ferry arrives and, and, and the doors open, our kids just kind of burst on through up the steps and perch themselves up on the upper deck. And uh, they've, they've got the kind of the perfect view over the waters. I think you've got a, a photo there to have a look at that. Uh, and, and, and you can see, right, that they're having a ball. And, and why wouldn't they? 
Right, they're right. They're the captains of their ship. It's it's blue skies, and they're enjoying the the adventure of a lifetime. And then suddenly, something unexpected happens. Right at the point that we're at the kind of the middle of the trip in the open waters with the the wind swirling, all of a sudden these huge waves come crashing against the boat. Not one wave, not two waves, but three humongous waves crash against the side of this ferry with the water spraying into the sky and the entire upper deck just drenched with water. So much so uh, that our kids are knocked off the feet and, and start scrambling on the upper deck, a bit like bowling uh, pins in a, in a bowling alley that kind of crash to the floor. So they are scrambling and crying and they scream screech with fear. And in the moment they kind of get to their feet and then kind of get themselves together, they turn from the front of the boat and they run back uh, to us and huddle together in our arms. And it's there that their, their rapid uh, breathing begins to calm. It's there that their, their tears begin to, to stop. But it's there that their fear begins to subside. And, and, and I remember this kind of huddled moment quite vividly because there was a guy uh, sitting to my right who kind of looks at me in the midst of all of this chaos. And he says, hey, mate, would you like a picture? And I'm like, seriously, in a time like this, sure, here's my iPhone, <laughs> right? And so he captures this photo and, and, and here we are. And I wanted to share this family moment with you because I feel that it speaks to our series and, and the reality uh, that was going on in the Corinthian church. You know, like waves crashing against a boat, so this church had been hit on every side. Uh, hit by idolatry and worldly ideas that had crashed against the church and washed on through. Hit by immaturity among their members and chaos and confusion about what truly matters. Hit by fear doubt, disagreement and division, all of which to say they've been knocked off their feet and are now scrambling to, to find their way. And you and I can relate. You know, here we were just a month back, you know, the captains of our own ship under blue skies when all of a sudden, bam, We've been hit by these towering waves, one wave after the other. We've been hit by the, the threat of sickness and, and the sight of suffering. Uh, we've been hit by all of these restrictions and this isolation and separation from family and friends. We've been hit by job loss and the threat of unemployment, like waves crashing against the boat. So a new reality has washed over us all. What did the church in Corinth need? What do you and I need today? They need, we need to, to find our feet and we need to come together. You know, like kids huddled and, and drawn close. So you and I need to, in this moment, unite as one. If you've got a Bible handy, uh, I'd love you to come with me uh, to our reading, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 10. Three words uh, of encouragement for you today when it comes to our unity. First, when it comes to this call of unity, remember 
who you are, right? Remember who you are. Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, Paul is transitioning at this point from his opening introduction to the main argument of his letter. And do you notice the word that, that marks his shift? It's the word appeal. Uh, in Greek, it's the word parakleo, which signifies a strong call and exhortation. In other words, this is not Paul sending a postcard from Bali with a few tips and tricks. And No, no, this is a strong exhortation. Uh, it's him saying, I urge you, I exhort you. Other translations say, I beseech you. Uh, for you parents struggling to manage kids at home, you might like to try out some of these words. Uh, next time they're caught in a war over the iPad, just walk in calmly and confidently and say, I beseech you in the name of the Lord Jesus. They may think you've lost your marbles, but at least you're being biblical, right? Now, what's Paul's appeal? Check it out right there. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, interestingly, this word united is somewhat of a surgical term to describe what a doctor might do when restoring a broken bone. How many of you can recall the time that you fell off your bike or were playing sport and broke your arm or broke your Leg. You remember the impact, the, the jolt of uh, pain, the, the frustration and, and limitation for the weeks that follow. Here's Paul looking at the church, recognizing that within the body of Christ, there are many relationships that are broken. Men and women are casting judgment at one another. Men and women harboring hatred and speaking with bitterness. Men and women standing in their sin, refusing to pursue mercy and grace. And like a broken uh, bone, this fracturing in the body of Christ is not only limiting their movement, but causing tremendous pain and hurt. And some of you, some of you know this because you yourself have been caught in the crossfire of a broken relationship. You know the ache of a relationship entangled by sin. You know the pain of being blocked by a friend. You know the misery of being unfairly judged and overlooked. You know, it's one thing to experience that kind of pain in the world, but something more pronounced and painful when that happens in the body of Christ. What do we need? What does the church in Corinth need? They need, we need restoration. Like a good surgeon fusing our bones. So Paul is pleading that our relationships are brought back together and healed. How? How does Paul help unite the church together as one? By reminding them of who they are in Christ. Did you see it? Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. 
Now that word uh, brothers uh, in Greek is adelphoi and it's not necessarily gender uh, specific. Uh, That is to say, Paul is addressing both men and women in the church of Corinth as family as brothers and sisters. Now, given the fact that Paul doesn't share the same parents as anyone in this church, this would have been considered an extremely odd and confusing greeting. One might expect Paul to deal with the dispute by appealing to their humanity or perhaps the the duty uh, of their citizenship in Corinth. But here... As he does throughout the letter, Paul reminds them of something far greater. He reminds them that they're not just citizens of the city, but that through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, God has made them brothers and sisters of the one family. Do we come from different nationalities? Do we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, with different stories? Absolutely. But in Jesus, the church in Corinth and you and I today, we are all brought together to something richer, something greater, something deeper. Some of you will know how much I love the book Les Mis. Uh, in fact, if you've never read the book, don't worry, just tune into enough sermons and you'll hear enough illustrations to piece the whole thing together, right? Uh, and, and who's one of the main characters? Well, there's a young girl named Cosette and she's this uh, young girl who at the age of three uh, is orphaned and, and sent to the care of uh, the Thenardias and they promise to look after Cosette, uh, but they're, they're really just a couple of rats, Uh, They don't really care for Cosette and they favor their other children. They give all the toys, all the clothes to them. And at Christmas time, Santa only comes to these children, never to Cosette because they tell her that she doesn't truly belong. And then one night late, when it's cold and dark, she is sent out by the Thenardias into the dark forest to to fetch a, a heavy bucket of water from the depths of this lake. And it's a terrifying moment for her. She walks through this dark uh, forest and, and, and her fears are, are realized when she sees a, a flickering shadow and then this great hand stretching out to her. And this is what Victor Hugo says. The poor little despairing thing could not help crying, help crying, oh my God, oh my God. But at that moment, she suddenly felt the weight of the bucket was gone. A hand which seemed enormous to her, had just caught the handle and was carrying it easily. The child was not afraid. Who had come to her aid? It was Valjean. Valjean had come to lift her burden. Valjean had come to rescue her from the Thenardias and adopt her to his own. And the following day, he takes her to his home in Paris and and blesses her with toys and new clothes and and gardens to explore. But of course, the, the beauty of the adoption is seen not only in the provision of gifts, but of course, in the abundance of love. Hugo writes, Valjean loved Cosette as his daughter and he loved her as his mother and he loved her as his sister. Love, truly called, lay in his enormous tenderness for Cosette the way a vein of gold lies in the mountain. To say that 
Valjean loved her as his daughter and mother and sister is to say that Valjean loved her with everything. City on a hill. Might I suggest to you that this is a picture of what is yours in Christ. That in Jesus, the hand of God's grace has lifted the burden. And in Jesus, you have been adopted. You have been rescued from slavery and death and brought into the household and the affection of God where you are gifted with life, love, and a new identity. An identity and love that restores your relationship with God, but also now transforms how we now view and relate to others. That instead of seeing one another in the church as just members of the same club, we recognize that we've all been adopted in and called brothers and sisters of the same family. That's beautiful. In the past couple of weeks, I've been uh, bombing into uh, different gospel communities to to check in and and see how people are going. And, And I love it. I love it. If you look at this uh, snapshot from uh, a visit just this week, uh, you'll see me on the top left. And, and there you'll see that my obsession for Les Mis also extends to Zoom backdrops. But if you look to the bottom and zoom on there, you'll see that one of my mates, Andy, even made a banner that says, Welcome Guy. Uh, I don't know what the requirements are for treasures in heaven, but I'd like to think that backdrops from Zoom count for something, right? How wonderful. How wonderful that we can connect with one another and be together as family. How wonderful that we have communities across this country where we can open God's word, where we can pray together, where we can share our tears of joy and our tears of sorrow. City on a Hill, I I, I want you to know that, that as I look across this movement of churches, I'm so thankful to God for the brotherly and sisterly love that I see. Uh, We've had more people lean into our gospel communities than ever before. We have people uh, picking up the phone and and checking in and and looking for ways to care and to support. There's there's groups uh, getting together to deliver meals, to have trivia nights, to, to offer a range of support and care. And the word in all of this is keep going. Keep exploring uh, creative and compassionate ways to, to care. Keep asking yourself, what would it mean for me to be a brother in Christ in this time? What would it mean for me to be a sister in Christ in this time? When it comes to unity, we are to remember who we are. We're brothers and sisters. Second, when it comes to unity, Paul reminds us challenges us to lay down our crowns, right? So if you cast your eyes over to verses uh, 11 to 13, you'll see that amidst their fighting, the church in Corinth are aligning themselves with different uh, teachers and preachers. Check this out. Paul says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Kephas, or I follow Christ. 
you can almost see them, can't you? The end of the service gathered around, the morning tea, uh, drinking their lattes when uh, Manly Mike, you know, says, gosh, I love Paul. Isn't he strong? So, so courageous. Not like the other preachers we've got. Like they're a little bit weak and, and timid. I, I like Paul. I, I, he's a true leader. I'd go with him where, wherever he goes, right? right? And then all of a sudden, Andrea, the academic, kind of butts in and she's like, Paul, please. Oh, he's so waffly and so dense and so dry. I, I need someone with more color and, and charisma. I, I like Apollos. Who's Apollos, says Grandma Betsy. Apollos, oh, mm, the best teacher going around. He, he's from Alexandria. He studied at Harvard. He was mentored by Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis. When it comes to the three points, he has the best three points of them all. He makes me cry. He makes me laugh. He makes me come alive. And then strong Sam dry reaches into his mug and says, oh my gosh, Apollos, he's a total tough. I, I need a man of strength. I need Peter, the rock. He gets our traditions. Oh, I go with him wherever he goes. I, I follow him. Now at this point, spiritual Sam enters the room hearing this quarreling and says, guys, guys, you've got it all wrong. You're looking at man. I I follow Christ. In fact, I've gone through my entire Bible and highlighted all the words of Jesus in red. I follow him. At this point, everyone smiles in disgust because they know exactly what spiritual Sam is doing, right? Not only is he abdicating any responsibility to any leader in the church, but he is ascending his moral high ground to make himself look more spiritual, more holy than anybody else. Now, by show of emojis, how many of you have seen the Netflix documentary Tiger King? All right, come on. Now, if you've seen it, just put in a tiger emoji or a purple jacket emoji right now. Um, it's clearly the kind of show none of us would have ever watched if it were not for four weeks of isolation, right? Uh, New, York, New York Times says Tiger King, a kaleidoscope of terrible taste, is prestige trash. Right. So for those of you who haven't seen it, who are above the uh, gutter of life, uh, Tiger King centers on uh, two American zoos. Uh, you have Carol Baskin, who runs Big Cat Rescue, and Joe Exotic, who runs his uh, zoo, his park in, in Oklahoma. And, and, and uh, Joe Exotic is part zookeeper, uh, part cult leader, and thanks to Autotune, part uh, country music star. And, and they, both, uh, they both have exotic animals. Uh, they both talk about their love for animals. And, and they're both convinced that their park is number one. And it's their resolve and their commitment to be number one that not only has them pouring out every ounce of energy, but has them snarling at each other and prowling around looking for a moment to strike. Now, on one level, the documentary is really straightforward. It's colourful characters living, you know, extraordinary lives. But on a deeper and more fundamental level, it's a story about humanity or in particular, the ugly side of greed, fame, and power. So the series starts uh, as a story about caged lions and these exotic 
tigers, but the longer the documentary goes on, the more we wonder who the animals truly are. And perhaps our culture's thirst for documentaries like this stems from our own story. You know, since the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, we've been bent. Uh, we've been bent and, and plagued uh, by our own desire to build our own kingdom and establish our own throne. We, we crave supremacy. Uh, we thirst for fame. We fight for power. Power in and of itself is not evil. It's just that evil is so often attracted to power. And we see that, don't we, in, in politics, the left battling the right, the right battling the left. We see that in companies and corporations who cut corners uh, and fight tooth and nail to be number one. Even in the, the office place, work colleagues will knife each other in the back in the name of career uh, progress. And then zoom in. Let, let, come on, let's zoom in more locally, right? Because humans are amazing and humans can do incredibly loving and generous things. But how on earth can we explain the mad scramble and the mad fight that was going on in, in, in supermarkets over toilet rolls, right? People scrambling and, and pulling their hair and fighting tooth and nail for what? Perhaps this picture might clue us in. Right, So, of course, the fight for the throne is not just something that happens out in the world. But what Paul is exposing is that this is something going on in the church. Instead of embracing their identity as brothers and sisters, instead of embracing their identity as the body of Christ, they are acting and looking and behaving far more like animals in a zoo. And what do you do with that? Well, look again to verse one. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, and note this, by the name of our who? Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a bidding war about who's best and who's got the territory and who has the kingdom. And you know the word that we see in our text today that is repeated most? It's the word I. I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. But here's Paul challenging them to lift their eyes from their own little kingdoms to see the reign and the rule of Christ. Right? So this is Paul's way of saying there is a throne. There is a king. There is a Lord over all and it's not you and it's not me. It's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true and perfect Lord who lived for us. The Lord who died for us. The Lord who was risen for us. He is the reigning, ruling and returning King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, one of our gospel communities this week, one of the, uh, one of the young women in the group, uh, her name was Nicole, uh, Nicola, said, Guy, uh, how, did you, how did you end up becoming a, a Christian? And I shared uh, the story with her that really I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, didn't go to church, didn't have a Bible, thought Jesus was nothing more than a, than a swear word. But, but like <clears throat> most Aussies today, I still had big questions. 
You know, I describe my life as a walk with a lot of uh, good, but a lot of garbage as well. A lot of great things about growing up in Australia, but also some difficult things as well. Uh, my, my parents were, were often at each, at each other's throats, fighting over money and, and debt. And, and eventually they uh, separated and divorced when I was nine years of age. And that kind of spiraled my brother into a life of rebellion where he was, you know, head on into gangs and, and living on the streets. And he kind of discipled me through that on, you know, how to stand on my own two feet and what it meant to, to kind of fight your way through and, and how to survive in that. And like looking back to today, looking back today at that, I, I see how the Lord kind of kind of used those times and, and how it made me quite resilient and, and how it made me uh, somewhat resourceful. And, 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 and I got quite comfortable in those times, you know, standing on my own two feet and, and being an, an independent person. And I remember sharing this with a, with a leadership coach and he said that actually that story is quite typical of, of many leaders today, particularly leaders of large organizations, because you had to learn to lead early. Right? You had to learn to be resourceful. You had to learn to be resilient through that. But then he said something to me that was really interesting. He said, but equally, people who've been through that kind of journey will also be somewhat suspicious of authority and that they will feel less safe uh, when somebody else is in control. Because, of course, I had to trust myself. And if I'm honest with you, this, this often kind of can rub up against my, my faith in Jesus. Because clearly I'm happy with Jesus to be my helper. I'm happy for Jesus to be my counselor and my comforter. I'm happy for Jesus to be my friend. But the question for me and the question for you is, will he be my Lord? Will he be my King? Will I lay down my crown at his feet and trust his word? And obey his command. But Jesus is, is our saviour and he is our Lord. He is the king. And this is where the Bible is so incredibly helpful. Because it reveals to you. It reveals to me. It reminds our hearts each day that Jesus is not just an all-powerful king. But that he is good. That Jesus cares for you. Jesus knows what you're going through right now. Jesus loves you and Jesus unites us all. And so we lay down our crowns and we lift our eyes to Jesus, trusting that he and he alone can draw us close. And this leads to the third and final point when it comes to unity. Paul calls us to give our lives to what truly matters. Have a look at this final section. In verse 14, verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see what Paul is doing? He is challenging the church to unite themselves around what truly matters. Uh, one of the last people I got to baptize was my son. 
uh, along with a bunch of other men and women across the city on a hill uh, at Port Phillip Bay. Uh, it was a wild and, and woolly day and, and amazing to be there with my son as he took this step of faith. And after coming out of the water, I said to Zach, you know, what was it like? And he looks up to me and he says, dramatic. It was dramatic. It wasn't what I expected him to say, but actually is quite true. In baptism, you and I, we are immersed into the drama of God. So as we enter the waters, we unite ourselves with Christ and enter into his death, the death for sin, the death for slavery, the death of death. But of course, that's not the end of the story. This Jesus who was crucified, died and was buried was on the third day raised to new life. And so in baptism, the good news is that we don't stay under the water, but that we are raised up, raised in the forgiveness of Christ, raised in the freedom of Christ, raised up in Christ and indeed for Christ. And that's the passion of Paul. That's the main thing. That's what truly matters to him. Whether planting a church, whether preaching a sermon, whether sharing the Lord's Supper, whether dunking a new believer, Paul's great passion was to lift up the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about Apollos. It's not about this church or that church or this preacher or that preacher. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's what truly matters. We exist from him and we exist for him. And City on a Hill, this is so crucial for us when it comes to our unity so crucial when it comes to the relationships that we were made to foster and draw near to. Think about it. What is at the heart of all church division, right? Uh, What is the root of all broken relationships? I tell you, it's not the difference of opinion. It's not a lack of understanding. It's pride, Pride is the root of all sin. Pride is the root of all destruction and division, right? Think about it. When pride gets the upper hand in a person's life, they no longer see people as brothers and sisters in Christ. They see other people as enemies and and competitors, right? So suppose you, you idolize your mind. Your goal in life is to be the smartest person in the room. Not only will you seek to flaunt your knowledge at any opportunity you get, but if anyone questions your insights or challenges your view, man, you'll just want to crush them and justify yourself and beat them down with your words, right? Or suppose you idolize your appearance, that you tap your meaning in and your significance in being beautiful or the strongest or the prettiest, right? So you see someone who's a bit shabby, in pride, you'll feel good about that. It's a bit of self-congratulations about how much better you are. But eventually, you'll see someone who is more attractive, healthier, younger, whatever it might be. And in that moment, you want to demonize them, perhaps call them superficial, or just throw yourself at the next new outfit or the next new diet or the next new thing, believing that that gives you the upper hand over them. Or suppose you, you find your identity in parenting, 
that that's where you tap your meaning in, in having your kids all organized and having them perfectly behaved. But of course, eventually you're going to see someone, a parent who's, who's doing more things to you and maybe they're doing it better than you and that'll cut you at the heart. And that won't only create a, a self-loathing or a loathing against them, but even at your own children because they're undermining your purpose and your identity. And then what if you idolize your religion? What if you find your purpose and, and meaning in being the most biblical, the most spiritual, the most prayerful, the most holy? Well, when someone challenges your interpretation of scripture or has a different perspective or a different preference or Lord forbid might challenge you on your character and your integrity in pride, you will fire up inside and you will want to demonize them, demolish them and eventually divide from them. Lewis says, pride Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or, or good looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or more clever or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, they would be nothing. There would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. So here's the question. What is the antidote to pride? How can we detonate the idols of our heart and the walls that so easily divide? The gospel. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but what? To preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this, writes Keller, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. Don't you see? When you look at the cross, you now see that there's no room for boasting, no room for puffing up your chest or striding on in. It doesn't matter if you won Miss America or if you have a PhD in world peace. It doesn't matter if your Bible has been personally signed by Billy Graham or Kanye West. Outside of the Christ, we're not impressive, right? We're enslaved to sin. We are dead in sin. And yet the good news of the gospel is that not only that Jesus had to die for you, but that he wanted to die for you. Right? This is love, says John. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. Do you know this love? Because it is this love that liberates us from all insecurity and pride and brings down the walls of hostility and division. Instead of bitterness, we can extend forgiveness. Instead of judgment, we can walk in love. Instead of anger, we can respond to every situation with patience and peace. And City on a Hill, as we do this together, as we proclaim Christ crucified, we need to heed Paul's words. Did you notice our final verse? Look again, our final verse. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, 
lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know that um, when I reflect on this verse, I sense that we, like the Corinthians in their day, put an enormous amount of confidence in human wisdom, our eloquence, our skills, our, our abilities. And if I'm honest with you, uh, that's something that's marked a lot of my own journey. Uh, growing up as a kid, I have to tell you, I wasn't particularly active at school. And uh, what I mean by that is I wagged a lot. I just had a lot going on uh, in, in, as a kid. And, and I really never took you know, my education and reading or anything like that seriously at all. Uh, in the end, I was the first and only person to ever finish year 12. And, and while I did go on to university, I ended up getting a master's of theology at, at Ridley. Um, I, I, was ne- I was often questioning my, my place and, and feeling a bit out of it, uh, you know, based on my story. And, and to be honest, Bible college was, was the worst because I'd kind of walk in there and every, it seemed like every second person I met, had, met had, had read more, had studied more and just knew more and were happy to kind of share what they knew. And so me and my mate in class actually had a running tally uh, of all the other students who would raise their hands like 38 times in one class to ask a question, which was always just code for, I'm going to tell everyone in this room how much I know, right? And, and I can laugh at that and look back at like, but to be honest, in the quiet moments of night, I, I did start wondering, man, maybe this is not the place for me. Maybe ministry and gospel work is just for a few very smart academics, right? And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you relate to that. Maybe you've often wondered whether, whether God could, could use you or, or, or you want to be part of God's work in this world, but have questioned your own ability. What did I need? Where do we all need to anchor our courage and strength? In our wisdom, in our knowledge, in our ability? No. Our confidence rests not in words of eloquent wisdom, but the cross of Christ, which is powerful to save. Right? Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, did, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right? Please listen. If the gospel hinges on human eloquence, then the mission of Jesus is limited to a few. It's about professionals. It's about the trained clergy. It's about the celebrity preacher and pastor. But if the salvation of God is not about us, if it's not about our gifts or our abilities or our wisdom, but it's about Jesus and his power to unite us and his power to send us out, then right now there is an invitation and opportunity for us all. Right? So, 2007, when, when God um, called me to, to help plant this church, I was still going through Bible college, was working part-time and never led a church, never planted a church. And the opportunity was there. And, and I just had so many sleepless nights gripped by fear and, and like the thought of, of failure. When I joined the core team, uh, there were 11 
people in the Bible study. And within a few weeks, two of them had left, right? So we were down to nine and off to a great start. But the team kept praying. The team kept trusting God. The team kept believing and hoping and, and thinking about all the ways that we might be able to see a gospel church established. And standing here with you right now, looking back, it's been extraordinary what the Lord has done. What the Lord has done through ordinary people is extraordinary to see the relationships and communities that have been formed, to see the leaders who've been raised up, to see new ministries like many rooms serving the homeless and the disadvantaged, to see new churches planted, to see literally hundreds of men and women enter into the waters of baptism and go from death to life. Right, and, and you know, you know that stepping out in faith is never easy. And you know that there are no guarantees of an easy road. And, and, and there have been challenges, haven't there, on the way. Moments of, of difficulty where it's the waves crashing against the boat. And we're in one of those moments right now. Never in a million years did I imagine that this would happen. Never did I imagine that we would be where we are right now. But here's what I want you to know so desperately, City on a Hill, that amidst all of the change, amidst all of the chaos, amidst the many waves that crash against the boat, there is one anchor who holds us secure, and his name is Jesus. Jesus continues to meet us with his grace. Jesus continues to unite this church and hold us close, and Jesus continues to be the one who is powerful to save. Just imagine with me for a moment, if we took hold of that promise, if we took hold of that gospel in this season, imagine if we each together took hold of the opportunity, the opportunity to reach out to a friend or family member and invite them to Alpha or, or one of our digital services. Uh, the opportunity for us to rally together in our gospel communities and together come up with creative ways to, to serve one another and, and offer hope to our world, to rally together before our God and say, Lord, would you move in this hour in great love and power. Whatever man has intended for evil, we know you can use this for good. And so instead of running in fear, Let's remember we're brothers and sisters in Christ and stand together in faith. Instead of scrambling in, in panic, let's see the crown of Christ and walk in peace. And instead of falling in despair, let's remember the unity we share and the mission we have to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. Wherever you are, I invite you right now to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who rescued us, that he is the one who adopted us and brought us close. Help us, Lord God, to remember you and your love and who we now are in Christ. Help us, Lord, to lay down our crowns and to see the reign and the rule of Christ. And Lord, help us now in this significant moment 
to step out in the confidence of the gospel, in the power of the good news of Jesus, that we might see a world that would know the beauty, the truth, and the relevance of His name. We pray this for our good. We pray this for your glory. In the mighty, mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.